Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Welcome to the Servcast, Mobile Serve's Canadian tech-focused podcast. I'm Patrick O'Rourke and Brad Bennett a man who refers to himself as the bad boy of tech, but that I call Mobile Serp's teen correspondent is once again not across the table from me because we are recording remotely still because of COVID-19. Yeah, How are you doing, I, Brad? I'm doing good. I'm back home. You know, I think we've been stuck inside for more than 80 days, so I've made it all the way around the world and back. Um, but so far, so good. And what did you say last week? There's something. I was in a submarine last week or submarine, riding a horse, no. maybe. I don't remember. One of the two. What if you're riding a horse in a submarine? Someday, next next quarantine, I'll step it up. So for this podcast, things are going to get a little confusing because we have two Brads. So from now on, I will for, refer to the Brad who I just introduced as Bennett, which I may have done sometimes on the podcast before. I should do um, like a little, this is Bennett's voice. In case you're yeah, wondering they, to tell the voices they, apart, <laughs> this is Bennett's voice. Um, and because we're talking about a very specific video game this week, we also have Brad Shanker on the podcast. How are you doing? The one real Brad. <laughs> thank you. Uh, thank you for having me. Oh, I'm great. Uh, looking forward to talking about the game. Sounds good. I'm excited too. I was going to say I'm a little less excited because I haven't got to play it yet, but I'm ready to have <laughs> some spoilers thrown at me. Yeah. Uh, Bennett's kind of volunteered as, as tribute for this podcast. Sacrifice. Yeah, both Brad and I have Hello. played the entire game. Um, we're big fans of the series. We have a lot of thoughts and a lot of things to say. And uh, you, you haven't even played the first one, have you? Like a yeah, I played the, the first one. I played the first one twice, all the way through. Yep, the only thing I haven't played is the story. Okay, DLC. I didn't realize that. Yeah, well I then you'll have like you'll have some context, which is good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was like my main gripe with going into this is just that I'm gonna have it spoiled for me, but. Uh... That's fine. I read the podcast notes, so it's all over for me now. Let's go. <laughs> so as you may have already guessed, we're going to be talking about The Last of Us Part 2. This is Naughty Dog's upcoming post-apocalyptic PlayStation 4 game that's been in development for seven years. By the time you listen to this podcast, I believe the game will be actually available. And then another thing I just want to make clear is that we're going we're going full spoilers with this one. There'll be a little bit right off the top where we're going to talk more um i guess generally about the game but then we're going to delve into everything from characters to the overarching story and themes to even like the actual end of the game and how we feel about that so if you want to avoid spoilers which if you're interested in playing the game you probably do you should we'll we'll tell you specifically when to stop listing but it's going to be going to be relatively soon yeah you guys said this game took you both roughly around 25 hours to beat right yeah, for me it was twenty five hours exactly. So yeah, if we're putting this out on launch 22. day, and you, okay, if we're putting this out on launch day, go play the game. Come back in twenty five hours, so that's twenty two hours of playing, three hours of sleeping, and then listen to the podcast. You have to play it in one sitting too. 
Correct. Well, well, you could split, spread the three hours of sleep. You could have three one-hour sleep no. breaks. <laughs> no. You have to play it in one sitting with no bathroom breaks. Wow. That's how... That way you get to feel the real tension. <laughs> so I, I think a good place to start things off, since uh, Bennett is somewhat familiar with the series, is to just like, if you could shoot out a few generic questions, I guess, to set the stage for what this sequel is, if that makes sense. Yeah, so I guess the most of my questions will be a little technical, but my first one is story-based. So I know the first game came out, and then there is, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe one story DLC to sort of bridges the gap between the two games. Yeah, the the, uh, the DLC it, was called Left Left Behind. Is that That's right, Brad, right? Yeah. Do you guys and, think it's um, important to play that before you play the second one? Because I haven't. I've only played the first game, but not the DLC. I, I would know say you can buy yes. it on its own. Uh, I would yeah? definitely say yes. Okay. It's uh, it's where it's Ellie's uh, sexuality is first explored, which is a major part of the sequel. Uh, and we're going to get into that later. Uh, okay. It also kind of dives into her before all of this kind of happened. Uh, by that, I mean like her meeting Joel and the whole story of The Last of Us. Because it, it, The Left Behind is kind of weird because it's part prequel, part taking place during the events of The Last of Us. Uh, oh. when when joel is injured ellie's kind of like trying to protect him uh and then she's like having flashbacks to when she was younger uh before she met him so you learn more about her backstory that way so i would say it's definitely important cool it definitely um, sets the stage for the sequel in, in several ways um but like listening to brad talk about it now i'm shocked about how little i remember about that dlc it's also yeah, short. I, it's only like two hours. Yeah, uh, it was good. Naughty Dog's first ever DLC too, which is why it was pretty noteworthy because they still did, you know, the top notch graphics and vo- uh, motion capture and all that. So it felt like a part of a game. Nice. Yeah, I um, I was thinking about jumping back in the first one leading up to the release of the second one or something. But maybe maybe I'll just like two hours before it comes out, play the DLC. That might be a way to go. Um, my next question, and I'm not sure if either of you guys have any specifics on this, but do you know any major differences between how the game runs on PS4 versus PS4 Pro? Because I know like other modern games like uh, coming to mind is Jedi Fallen Order on PS4 and Xbox One base levels just was almost trash and really hard to play compared to the Pro versions of the consoles. One thing I'll say is that my PS4 Pro sounds like an airplane when I'm playing it, mm-hmm. which is a little scary. Um if I owned a regular PS4, I, I don't know what it would do to that console. Yeah. Um, I actually, I actually surprisingly don't know uh, on a technical level what the PS4 Pro offers over the PS4 with this game. Yeah. Um, um, Digital Foundry, you know, the, the tech wizards over there that kind of measure game performance, they did a, a big kind of spread on, on the game because obviously they got it early as well. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I think because the game is already like so polished and technical as it is, the PS4 Pro version is mostly just uprest. Uh, like I think it's like 1440p uh, at at certain moments, maybe a bit higher, depending. But like the frame rate still stays locked around 30. Nice. Okay, that's it, good because I know it ran Fallen Order super was smoothly. Freeze. Yeah, Fallen, but yeah, Fallen I used to freeze, right? Yeah. But yeah. I echo what Pat said. My uh, playing the game late at night, and I'm worried sometimes it's going to wake my mom up because it sounds like a jet engine. <laughs> wow, oh, it's okay. so loud. I used I used headphones the entire time when I was playing. I have like this old um, uh, I can't re- remember what it's called, but it's like an older PS3 headset that's mm. compatible with the PS4, and it has like rumble bass in it, which is super cool. And I wish more headsets did this. 
Wait, the um, headset vibrates? You have yeah, it vibrates. Headset. That's how it does bass. Huh. It's it's actually like it's, it's really the only headset I've ever used that has done that, and that's why I've kept it around. It's like it's rotten and falling apart, but I, I always tape it back together. Um, yeah, that's cool. Yeah. Um. Okay, so that's interesting. So, like, if I'm gonna be playing this on a regular PS4, ideally my or I should be okay. Um, yeah, it'll be fine. Yeah. Is there any multiplayer in this one? That's something I haven't really done too much looking into it. Anyone? No. Uh, no multiplayer they at all? Ha- they had initially confirmed that there was going to have multiplayer because they had revealed this game way back in 2016. Uh, mm-hmm. So it was been a while. But then last year, uh, when they re-revealed the game, like with the big gameplay spread, and that's when they originally revealed the first gameplay, or uh, like the first release date, I should say, before it was delayed. Uh, they said it. they removed multiplayer because they had some cool ideas for it, but they wanted to just focus on, you know, the single player. So they kind of pulled yeah. all their assets to that. But they've been hiring over the last few months for like multiplayer positions. And they said that they still want to do some form of multiplayer. So I don't know if that would come as like a standalone Last of Us thing, or maybe it just kind of merges into its own like unique experience. I don't know. But the first Last of Us had really solid multiplayer. Like, it was really I liked unique. it a lot. Yeah. Yeah. But it's funny because with that as well, that wasn't revealed until like a month before the game came out. They were pretty quiet about it, uh, mm. which is pretty interesting. I yeah. never, so I probably played the multiplayer a couple times in the first game and it, it didn't really resonate with me. But just listening, like just thinking about it now, and we'll get to this later, like the combat feels so fluid in mm-hmm. The Last of Us Part Two that I'm actually kind of sad that there's not multiplayer in it, at least at launch. Like it would actually, it would be really fun i think i think it was really like ahead of its time too because it used was to be it this, okay you had like what you were teams of like two or three or even by yourself sometimes but you most of the time only had one life unless you were in like the team deathmatch type thing so okay. it kind of was in that battle royale type of, you have to be sneaky you got to look around you were finding armor and ammo on the map you know like those types of things and you'd have to like actually craft your things together and you'd be more worried about actual people hearing you as opposed to computer enemies and yeah, it was a nice um, I ch- wouldn't... change of pace from, you know, the there's so many battle, especially even now, I think it would be even more unique because, you know, there's so many battle royale games. And even though in those you sometimes want to play a bit, you know, stealthy or t- try to survive by the end, it's still bombastic for the most part. But yeah. the Last of Us multiplayer or the Last of Us gameplay at its core is very much more methodical and slower paced. And uh, yeah, Definitely. I agree with you. It, it is it a bit is disappointing. Just... But I mean, I think they made the right call, right? First and foremost, yeah. The Last of Us is a single player game and, you know, they want to make that as good as it can be. Yeah, I wouldn't fair. be surprised if we see multiplayer when the inevitable uh, PlayStation 5 remaster comes out. That's, that's my prediction. Yeah, it'll be like yeah. added on to that or something. Could be. Yeah, yeah maybe. Um, and then uh, I the only other question I have, and this one kind of, I guess, will lead into your conversation more about the story and how you guys think about it. But do you think two really was better than one? Uh, and sorry, I should frame this as story only. You know, let's not get into added going prone and the new crafting or and all that kind of things. But just in terms of the story, which one did you guys enjoy more? Um, they're both pretty tight, like fluid campaigns, I think. So do you have a Pat, you want to go first? Sure. I'm I'm just thinking about it. I, I think mm-hmm. I enjoyed the first story more because I appreciated its simplicity. I th- I think that the part two's part two does more 
if that makes sense. Yeah. Like it, it's, it's impressive because of what they've been able to craft with it, which we'll get, get into later. I would say that I, I enjoyed it probably just as much as the original one, but in a different way, it made me feel things in a different way than, than the first game. Um, it's probably the best way to explain it. Uh, so I'm like talking myself in circles. I think I liked them both pretty much equally. I I still think I prefer the first one, but to be fair, it's kind of like the, you know, capturing that lightning in a bottle kind of thing where, you know, the first game will, or the first of anything really will always have that kind of like special magical feeling to it uh, yeah. that a sequel can't quite recapture. Um, but that's not to, to knock um, the sequel because I think it is, like Pat said, it is different and we'll get into it, but it's easily their most ambitious game from a narrative perspective. Uh, there's a lot going on. There are a lot of characters, a lot that they've teased and sort of hinted at uh, and others that they haven't talked about at all um, and how their stories kind of unfold and overlap and play out, especially because this is, this game is about 10 hours longer than the original Last of Us uh, and Naughty Dog's other games like Uncharted. Uh, it definitely is, even if I don't necessarily enjoy all of the story beats and elements, the fact that I appreciate the effort and I will say it's not a it's not a safe sequel. They don't play it safe. They yeah. they take risks. And that's ultimately what you want, right? You don't want The Last I, of Us yeah, 1 that's, again. You want something different, right? That's probably I think, the I biggest think... way that someone sold me on the game so far. I mean, I always wanted to play it. But you saying it's not a safe sequel. It takes takes risks that I, I think you're kind of saying pay off. Um, oh, yeah, they, they the definitely pay off. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that gets me really excited. Mm-hmm. So I think that's a good place to kind of delve into the, the spoiler territory because that's that's kind of what I, I respect and like so much about the game is the chances that um, they took with the story. The things that I, I didn't expect were going to happen at all. Um, and I think one of the things that is pretty important to talk about right off the top and that will likely disappoint hardcore fans of the game, perhaps of the, of the first game is Naughty Dog's decision to kill Joel off extremely, extremely early in the game pretty abruptly and in an ultra violent disturbing way like you you see the entire thing mm-hmm. happening brad do you want to just expand on that a little bit and explain how joel goes out <laughs> yeah so if you've seen the walking dead you know famously there's that scene where negan uh, one of the big bad guys has a baseball bat and he basically bashes in glenn one of the main characters head it's very yeah. much like that i got a lot of vibes from that you know, the main characters have to watch while Glenn is being killed. And it's the same situation here. Ellie rushes in to try to save Joel and she gets pinned down by the guys. And the the main villain, I say in quotes because there's much more to it than that. The main villain of the game, Abby, uh, who hasn't been talked about at all. They haven't even given her a name. Uh, she's voiced they by did, Laura Bailey. They did show her in that trailer. Paris Games Week trailer. Um, yeah. Yeah. The super very, violent very one. Briefly. Yeah. But they... Yeah pretty much hidden her completely and we'll get to her later but yeah basically she is trying to get revenge for something that joel has done and she basically bashes in his head with a with a golf stick a golf club um and it is very reminiscent of the of the walking dead very violent very visceral um and yeah it's like you said it happens very early probably at like the two hour mark of this you know 20 plus hour game so it's very bold uh and it and, you know, it, it sets the tone for the rest of the game. I always assumed that uh, Joel was going to die 
I didn't think that it was going to be that quickly. I think stuff that Neil Druckmann had said in between before the release of the game indicated to me that like this, this story is about Ellie. It's about her journey. Um, and that the way that Joel was taken out was it to me, it seemed, it seemed pretty appropriate. Cause like, he's not a great guy. No. Um, so like, I don't think in a narrative sense that he deserves this fantastical death. You know what I mean? Um, he's done horrible things in his life. Sure. He has redeeming qualities like many of the characters in this game. So to me, it just like, it made sense for him to get his head smashed in with a golf club. Um, and I, I thought that that was in a sense, a, a very brave choice by Naughty Dog to do that so early and in such a violent way. And then I think the other thing that's important to note, because I, I know there's a lot of people that are mad about the leaks and they've, they've seen this happen and they think it's like a disrespectful way to get rid of the character. I think it's important to note that like he's not not in the game after that point. Like you see him several times through flashbacks um, that expand on his relationship with with Ellie mm-hmm. um, and some of the events towards the end of the last game related to him taking her from the fireflies um, hospital and not saving the human race. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, he's definitely not gone from the game mm-hmm. at all. And, and I'll just add, you know, part of what makes gaming a unique medium, obviously is the interactivity and the fact that you are the one on the stick, you know, controlling the, the, the progression of the story. So, you know, it was a very conscious decision of Naughty Dog in the last game to end it with you, you know, you're forced to kill those doctors because for context, the surgeon that was going to operate on Ellie at the end of the first game is Abby's dad. So that's why she wants yeah. to kill Joel because he killed her father. Uh, and the game makes a last of us Two makes a, a point of revisiting the hospital scene many times through flashbacks from Abby's perspective. And it's kind of like a horror scene, you know, and she goes into the operating room and she sees her dad killed. So it's, it's a good way to, to frame those events in a different light. And I would argue makes you feel bad in a way for you playing an active role in doing that. Right. And you see scenes of her again, through flashbacks of her spending time with her dad. So you come to realize, you know, she had a relationship, you know, in much in the same way that we like Joel and Ellie together for this surrogate father daughter relationship, Abby and her father also had that kind of relationship by blood, but same kind of thing. And, you know, Joel took that from her. So uh, and, it, and it mirrors the first game too, right? You know, the first game started with Joel losing his daughter, which is very much sets up his story throughout the, the game, much in the same way that, you know, Ellie loses Joel and that sets up her journey throughout the game. So it's a nice kind of parallel, you know, marked by tragedy, though. I think the big, the big difference is, you know, Sarah was completely innocent, whereas Joel is not, like you said, he's not a good person. So Bennett, does that, does that surprise you at all in any way that they would, they would like get rid of the main character from the first game um, so early. I don't, I mean, it does surprise me. I mean, I'm not necessarily surprised, surprised because the trailers are like very Ellie centric. Uh, yeah. That's the other thing that I like. So when people are shocked about it, I guess I'm, I'm surprised at that because the marketing has been focused on Ellie, right? Yeah. It's very much like been hinting that like Joel is not, I didn't think that he, I didn't know that he would die, but I didn't think he was playable for very so, much. Like it, yeah. I'll just say, you know, to, to play devil's advocate, uh, I have followed the marketing heavily. And, you know, like the, the trailer last year suggested that Dina, Ellie's girlfriend in this game, was going to be the one that dies in this big inciting incident. At the oh, of the interesting. Game. 
Uh, and, you know, that's the theme of the game, revenge. Ellie's out for revenge. And they, they've said that, but they never said why she's out for revenge. And obviously, you find out it's because Joel's dead. But mm-hmm. the, tr- the marketing very heavily suggested it was Dina who dies. And that's her avenging, trying to get revenge for Dina. And then the trailer suggests that partway through her journey, Joel joins her. Because he literally says, did you really think I was going to let you do this on your own? And oh, they show yeah, they show scenes from the flashbacks in the trailer with Joel, which makes you think that, you know, he's going to be a part of Ellie's journey. And Troy Baker, who plays Joel, you know, has said that Joel plays a very large role in the game, which is true, but kind of <laughs> not true. You know, um, that's such great. So, misdirection. so f- yeah. from that perspective, I totally I can see why someone would be disappointed. Uh, of course, we, we're going to get into it more, you know, the rage that people have had over these leaks. But I can see on a surface level, you know, being a bit disappointed that you don't get too much more Joel. Like Pat said, there are flashbacks which flesh that out, which is good. Um, we get Joel's story a lot, though, you know. Oh, I agree. But I just think when the marketing is presenting one thing and then there's this half the game pretty much is this character that you play as that you were never like even ignoring Joel. You're you assume you're playing as Ellie the entire game and they hid kind of like a Halo 2 kind of situation, they hid Abby as a playable character for half the game, pretty much. I can see why someone, if they're expecting an Ellie story with or without Joel, and they get mm-hmm. half of it with this new character, I can see why someone would be a little disappointed. Again, we're going to get into the specifics and why people should maybe give the game a chance. But um... Yeah, that's probably a good place to talk a little bit about Abby. Mm-hmm. Um, I think... I when I first started playing this here, I was initially turned off by the idea because I was like, oh, okay, so they're doing a very Halo 2-esque thing here. It's going to be I'm playing as Ellie for part of the game, and then I'm going to be playing as Abby, sort of like with Halo 2, where you're playing as the Master Chief, and then you play as the Arbiter, which was historically a super controversial decision on on Bungie's part because the Arbiter sections of the game weren't as good. Like I, I think that that's pretty universally Mm -hmm. accepted that like they were fine but they weren't as fun as playing as the master chief to cut in Um, here though yeah use a devil's advocate example i think grand theft auto did multiple playable characters super well to be fair though that was up they were very upfront about gta 5 being about three characters that was very much the focus of the marketing and you know each character kind of focuses on a on a facet of the grand theft auto world um Mm -hmm. so i think that's a little different Okay. I I think the other thing with this too, um, and I know there's certain parts of Grand Theft Auto where it's like the protagonist antagonist situation. With 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 Abby, I think what was interesting is that it to me it feels like The Last of Us Part Two is one of the only video games to have really um, made me care. Well, I already care about Ellie. I already care about her journey. I played the first game, but over the course of the game it finds ways to also make me care about Abby pretty much exactly as much as I care about Ellie, which we'll get to it later leading up to this like final showdown where like, I don't even know who I (laughs) I want to, to win in this situation because I want both characters to survive in some way. Yeah. Um, And I I think that's really impressive because they managed to introduce a brand new character. um, That's, that's pretty unique as well. Like in the gaming space, um and make me care about it pretty quickly mm-hmm. uh brad I'm, I'm curious what what did you think about that uh decision to kind of show the story from a different perspective because i i think that that's going to end up being 
one of the most controversial mm-hmm. aspects of this game for for most people. Yeah, so there's a lot to dig in there. I think first and foremost, you know, I've said it, and I think you felt that way to a certain degree. You know, when we knew a, a sequel to The Last of Us was inevitable because the first one sold so well, but I was always of the mind that I wanted a new story and new characters. I I felt like the last game ended perfectly, but then obviously they came out at, in 2016 and said we are doing a sequel, and it is very much Ellie and Joel again. So you know. I wasn't immediately put off by the idea because Naughty Dog are very talented storytellers, but, you know, it wasn't my first choice. So I think using Abby and, you know, her world and her characters is a great way of kind of a best of both worlds, giving people both camps what they want. Because, you know, you do get Ellie, you do get a lot of Ellie, you know, her story and Joel, you know, that's expanded upon. But you're also getting this new cast of characters, this new group, which their story is still tied to Ellie, don't get me wrong, but... There are a lot of scenes that kind of flesh them out and, you know, open up the world. It's a lot of good world building there, which I think is really cool. It's um, and it, the only thing I'll say, um, what pretty much my only major issue with the game, and it's not even so much of a major issue, is the pacing and structure is a little wonky because of this. Uh, so for context, you know, when Abby and Ellie have one their first like major ma- meetup after uh, she kills Joel, which takes place, I would say, maybe about three quarters into the game. Uh, or maybe about halfway... It takes place halfway into the game. The game basically leaves you on a cliffhanger, and then it goes into Abby, where you play as Abby for pretty much a third of the game, if not more. And it's cool, you know, to kind of get that perspective of what Abby was doing leading up to her meeting Ellie. And it's cool to learn about these characters. But it is it kind of does rob a bit of the dramatic tension, because... Along that, along the way to get to that point, Ellie has already killed most of Abby's friends. So when you're seeing, you know exactly what's yeah, going to happen. When you're seeing the yeah. scenes with them, it is a little. It's not even that you know what their what their fate ultimately is. It's that you know exactly how they die too, because you saw Ellie do it. So it does rob a bit of the dramatic tension from those scenes, which is a bit unfortunate. And it 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 does drag on a bit. I would say some of the Abby sections, uh, like you can. I don't know if you feel the same way, but when Yara, who's one of the new characters. Uh, in the game, she needs medicine because her arm is all mangled, which you see from the trailer, uh, that Paris Games Week trailer. And Abby and Yara's brother, uh, Lev, um, have to go out and find uh, medicine for her. That section goes on for a very, very, very long time. Yep. Uh, and again, I see what they were doing there. You know, they're trying to, to you know, show you this different side of the world because Lev and Yara are from the Seraphites, which are this fanatical religious cult. Uh, And I did appreciate to a degree, you know, expanding upon that world, but it did go on a bit too long. And then it's kind of like, you know, in the back of your head, okay, you're waiting for the resolution to Ellie and Abby meeting up. And it's like, why am I going halfway across Seattle to find this medicine? Like, I feel like that section could have been truncated a bit. But overall, yeah, I agree with you. I think it's it's a great way like you said, you know, you, you come to really like Abby and her group of characters, and it makes you feel bad for what you did as Ellie. You know, you learn more about this. There was a pregnant woman that Abby, uh, that Ellie ends up killing. You learn more about her, uh, who's voiced by Ashley Birch. Um, you learn more about Owen, who Abby had a sort of on-again, off-again relationship with. Uh, even there's a dog that they have, uh, which is very yeah. cute. And you you play around with the dog a bunch of times. And then Ellie, in Ellie's section, she just casually kills the dog and says, stupid dog, and moves on. But then, you know, once you spend a few hours with the dog, it's like, oh, that was I liked Alice and now she's dead. So the game does a good job of expanding upon these characters and make you feel bad. For what There's little moments 
that I really appreciated, like in the sections where you were able to play catch or, or play fetch with Alice. Yeah. yeah. Like I spent 20 minutes just throwing a ball against the fence just for fun because it was cool, like the physics and the mechanics of it. Um, mm -hmm. And then also some of my favorite moments in the game didn't even involve Ellie. Like I really liked when Abby, uh, one of the flashback sequences where she's younger, I think she's 14 or something like that. And she's exploring um, an abandoned zoo mm -hmm. with her dad. Mm -hmm. And they run into this, uh, to a zebra that's caught on barbed wire and they free the zebra. It's like this really heartwarming moment. That's kind of like the giraffe sequence that's mm -hmm. super famous from the original The Last of Us. Um, and there, there's several, several other instances like that, but to, I, I think just like looking back at it, um, by the time the game was done, like I, I actually cared more about the outcome of Abby's story than mm -hmm. Ellie's. Well, and, and that's very much, I think, intentional in a way, because when you think about it, Abby's journey too is, is motivated by revenge to start, but you know, she, she fulfills her mission early. So she kind of moves on and, you know, as you go through her story, she meets these kids, you know, Yara and Lev. And they're innocent. They were dragged into this conflict. They didn't want to be. So she tries very much to, you know, to to save them from from the cult that's hunting them because you know they've been outcast. And we'll get into why they've been outcast later. But uh, it's a great parallel, or it's a great contrast to Ellie's journey. Who you know, Ellie just can't let go of killing people. You know that cycle of violence that Neil Druckmann keeps talking about. Whereas Abby, towards the end of the game, she's done with it. Like she doesn't want to fight anymore. She just wants to save these kids. And so, you know, by the by the time it gets to their final confrontation, like you said, you're kind of rooting for Abby more because Abby literally tells Ellie, it's like, she's, keep in mind, Abby spared Ellie multiple times now. She's told her, she's let her live. She only wanted to kill Joel. She let Ellie live and Tommy, uh, Joel's brother, she let them live and she lets Ellie live again later on. And so she tells Ellie at the end, she's like, I don't want to fight you. But uh, uh, Ellie kind of forces her to um, by threatening Lev. So it's like, it's a great contrast because it's like, Abby is more noble when you think about it. She she's trying to save these kids. She just wanted to escape the conflict. She doesn't want to kill anymore. So yeah, I, I think even by the end of the game, like to me, it almost felt like um, I, I expected Ellie to die. Like it almost felt like that. That's how the story was going mm -hmm. to end because she had been given these given so many chances to not continue the cycle of violence, which is the overarching theme of the game, and kind of break that cycle. Um, and just continued to uh, just hunt, hunt, hunt Abby. There's even like at, towards the end of the game, there's like this this great sequence where Ellie and Dina they talk about it really early on that they want to like live on a farmhouse and have a nice farm, mm -hmm. um, and that actually happens. Like that's that's what that's how the game I thought was going to end. And I was like, this is nice, but this doesn't feel like the dark ending that I was expecting. Is this Red um, Dead too? Yeah, that's <laughs> what it felt like, and then. Ellie can't live with the fact that Abby killed Joel and that um, that like revenge that she's constantly seeking comes back and then she goes after her again. Um, I think we'll talk about that that final sequence as like the the last thing in the game. But right now, just just moving on a little bit from the story itself, because I don't think we've seen um, a lot of coverage of the actual gameplay. I felt that this is probably one of the best third-person action games that I've ever played. Um, you're, you're like the AI enemies are super smart. They're flanking you all the time. Um, they're calling out to each other. Uh, there's little things that the game does to make you feel like you're not even killing just like an AI drone, where like 
you'll kill someone's uh, boyfriend or something like that. And, and the other character will like cry out in agony that they've killed their loved one. There's like little tiny things that make um, these battles that are often quite intense and end up with you with, with no health and only like three bullets. There's always like this, this little, this little thing in the back of your mind where you're constantly searching for different, uh, for ammo, for weapons, for different items to craft stuff. And you're also, you're, you're always almost out of health. You're always almost out of ammo. You're kind of like always operating on this, this, in this way where you don't have enough of what you need, if that makes sense. And I think that really adds to the tension of the game. But there's also other stuff too, where like the ability to go prone, you wouldn't think that that would make a huge difference in a third person action game, but it really, really does. It opens up new opportunities for stealth. Um, so I, I play the game pretty much like Rambo, just running through killing every everyone in sight. But I think in a sense, you do get more out of the experience if you're playing stealthy because they've added far more mechanics to it. So there's now really tall grass that you can lie down prone in or crouch in. Um, and it gives you more opportunity to take out enemies. Uh, there's You can even jump. Like you, That's another simple thing, right? I, I don't think the jumping is quite as fluid as a game like Uncharted or the more recent Tomb Raider titles, but that even brings like platforming elements to the game that feel, I, I wouldn't use the word like janky, but they're still, they're still good, but they don't feel quite as fluid as they would in other titles that have this. But I think all this combines to make a much more compelling gameplay experience. And I don't think that that's something that I've seen talked about very much leading up to the game's release. It's all been very focused on story. Yeah, totally. I agree. Um, like you said, you know, they've added a lot of on paper, you know, these mechanics might not seem like a whole a whole lot, but together they they make a lot of they make combat so feel so much more dynamic. Like you said, she can go prone uh in the tall grass. You can also like um sh- kind of like shimmy between tight corners. Uh like oh, tight yeah, spaces. That's true. Uh and you know, like you said, jumping. So you saw all that on at play in the E three demo that they showed two years ago. Uh, where Ellie's kind of in a park and she's fighting the Seraphites, you know, the religious cult I mentioned. Uh, and how that played out uh, uh, went completely different for me um, because, like you said, it's there's there, there's so many different uh, opportunities for emergent gameplay because, you know, unlike in previous games from Naughty Dog, particularly the original Last of Us, you know, when you get spotted, like they did, they do try to offer options for stealth. When you get spotted, it's usually, okay, you got to fight now, that's it. And in the first game, too, you could be stealthy up to a point. Um, but this game, you know, because of the PS4 and levels are so much bigger and more varied and dense, you know, you can engage an enemy, fight a few of them, run away to the other side of the map and then hide in like a bush or, or you know, go prone under a truck or whatever. And then, you know, you've re-entered stealth. So like they're aware of you. So there's different levels of stealth as they're hunting you. Um so it's a really great ebb and flow. You know, they called it in the first game, the balance of power dynamic, you know, where you're constantly oh, okay, feeling, yeah. uh, you know, uh, you're you're wounded. So the enemies will kind of come closer to try to rush you. Whereas if you have them on the run, it's that balance of power thing. I feel like this game really captures that uh, well. And, you know, they, they added more like customization options uh, for your weapons. And, you know, you can craft like a silencer for your pistol, which is super helpful. Um like I always felt that, I always felt that co- that no one combat situation is always going to be the same. Like I would, I would clear out an area, uh, and then I'd go back and like try to loot it, and I'd find like, oh, here was like a ladder that I could have taken to go up higher, 
or here's, you know, a little pool of water that if I swam into it, because, you know, Ellie can swim now. She couldn't swim in the first game, but she's learned how to since, you know, Ellie can dive through the water, come out the other side of the map. And, you know, all these different options that I, I could have had that weren't present in the first game that I didn't even realize the first time I was playing through it. So I almost like last night I was actually going back and replaying enemy encounters and like trying it different ways. And it was like completely different from how I um, experienced it the first time. Uh, and I'll just add, you know, there's two like main factions, the WLF, the Washington Liberation Front, Front, which is like this militia that Abby's a part of. And then there's the Seraphites, which I mentioned, the religious cult and fighting against the scars, the scars, as they call them. Yeah, they like <laughs> they brand themselves with scars out of some like, you know, to their deity. That's what they do. But uh Playing against them feels very different. You know, it's not just, you know, PR speak to say, oh, it's radically different encounters when you play against them. I actually felt like it it was unique to play against them because the uh, because they're a militia, the WLF is more about like heavy artillery and, you know, calling out your location. Uh, and they have dogs which can sniff you sniff out your scent. Uh, so you can like when you use listen mode, you can see your scent to kind of figure out that the dogs are onto you which you can use to your advantage too. Cause sometimes I would like craft a bomb and just place it in the corner. And then when, when I see the dog following the trail it and its owner would walk into the, Oh, the I did that just, too. Yeah. yeah. So it's a really good way to kind of use that to your advantage, but the dog encourages you to keep moving. Right. Cause mm -hmm. if you stay still for too long, it'll sniff you out. Uh, whereas on the flip side, the Seraphites are more like old school. They, they have guns, but they focus more on like bows, which obviously are silenced. They have uh, they're axes, always whistling axes. Yeah. And they have this really cool like guerrilla warfare. kind. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step -step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Kind of whistling uh, to like communicate with one another so you never know what they're saying. Unlike the, the militia where they're speaking English, right? So, you know, mm -hmm. and the, the Seraphites can kind of like crouch in the grass with you. So... They it, it definitely felt more tense fighting them uh, at times. Uh, but I, yeah, I liked that the, the enemy types were varied and it felt different. Uh, and like to your point, you know, you mentioned enemies all have like names, like all the AI. So when they call out to one another, oh, no, you just killed John or you just killed Brad. Uh, but to that point, you know, it's the same thing with like the dogs, right? Uh, you know, when you kill a dog, it like it like cries out in pain and it whimpers. And it's like it all feeds into that hole, you know. The, the violence is super like gory and intense, but you're not meant to necessarily feel good after doing it. You know, it's very messy uh, to that point. You know, people always say, oh, the shooters like Gears of War or Vanquish are more mechanically tight than Naughty Dog games. And sure. But with The Last of Us, that's not the point. You're you're aiming. Ellie's just a regular girl, right? Her aiming's not meant to be. She's not Marcus Phoenix. She's not meant to have you know, precision aiming her, her gun is going to sway when she aims it, you know, when she chokes someone out, they're going to be like, blood's going to be flailing around and they're going to be, you know, struggling to get free. Like, you know, she's going to get shot. She's going to clamber over things like all of these little details. Uh, and then, you know, just killing people and how messy it is and bloody it is all of that kind of comes together to make combat feel really dynamic and real. Sometimes having a bit of weight to it can, yeah, add realism. Like, 
when Patrick was talking about how the platforming isn't exactly the same as Uncharted or uh, Tomb Raider, mm-hmm. I was kind of thinking like, yeah, I don't, I don't want it to be, you know, Ellie isn't Nathan Drake who can jump 15 feet in the air and magnet to a wall that has a vine on it somehow <laughs> and ways that would make no sense. It's like, I want her to jump and fall if I would jump and fall, or I want her to like jump and struggle because I would jump and struggle to like pull myself up. Yeah, it speaks to that those like little details I mentioned because like if you are spotted by an enemy and you're like you know the dogs run super fast more than humans so they're chasing you and you know you're trying to sprint to get out of there and you're vaulting over cover or whatever Ellie like shambles like it's not a clean like parkour flip over the the wall you know she like kind of staggers when she comes over when she jumps yeah. you know she kind of like lands not very gracefully like all of those little details add to the sense of you know tension and desperation that feeling that you know you're literally surviving by the skin of your teeth you know you're desperately trying to get out of there so these guys don't kill you it doesn't feel like oh you you're you know roadie running in gears of war which just feels badass it's like no you feel you know you feel tense and scared that you're gonna die so sometimes i feel like those weight things can help you establish a rhythm when you're playing i don't know if you guys feel that you know you get that like struggle and you're like oh and then you you know you time the you know my character is gonna do a little waiver because it did this and i'll time my dodge after that and you if you can kind of complete all of this by mm. chaining all those animations whether you cause them to happen or they're a side effect of you doing something or something happening to you it really does like rhythm can make it feel so much better oh yeah and just this one last thing sorry to that ahead. point you know you mentioned dodging the we didn't we forgot to mention there is a dodge button now which the yeah. previous game didn't have. Because, you know, melee felt really weighty and satisfying in the first game, but it was very basic. You're just mashing square. And, you know, you couldn't really dodge attacks. Like, Joel's going to get hit. If he gets hit, that's it. Like, you yeah. can't really do anything about it. But he, now there's a dodge mechanic because Ellie's more, you know, nimble than Joel. So uh, you have to... And it, I, I did feel it was pretty well designed. It didn't feel too forgiving. Uh, like, if you just keep tapping L1, you're going to get hit. Like, you have to actually time it. Uh, and this is very it adds to that sense of tension, you know, someone, especially the Seraphites, they have these like really big brutes with like giant, like tomahawks or axes. Oh, I or whatever. hate those things. <laughs> you saw that in the E3 demo, uh, like, especially when you fight them in like a close qu- quarters encounter. And then there's a guy across the room who has like a shotgun. It's like, you kind of have to make that split, split decision. Like, okay, I'm going to got to try to dodge this tomahawk guy while I go for the shotgun dude, because you know, he can pick me away uh, a bit easier. Uh, or maybe you just take the comic guy out quickly, you know, dodge his attacks, melee him back. Uh, he can parry as well. So um, all of those mechanics come together to just make it a really fluid. And I agree with you. Like you said, it's one of my favorite like third person action systems, I would say. I was just going to say that I think some of the violence in the game was over the top, but like over the top in a good way, because it made sense within the context of this like dark gritty mm-hmm. universe and i think that um there's I, I we there's no time to go into them but there's a number of instances where like how violent certain things were made me feel pretty uncomfortable but i think that was yeah. intentional on naughty dog's part because the game isn't designed just to be fun if that makes sense it, mm-hmm. it's also it's it it wants to make you feel more than just like having fun it wants you to care about these characters it wants you to be disgusted at violence like there's all these things that it's trying to do that i think is pretty unique um in in the context of video games and i, and I don't think there's been since the first last of us really a game that's tried 
there have been several games that have tried to evoke those feelings, but I think that this has done the best job of that since the first last of us. I think the atmosphere of it helps because like, yeah, like you're saying games try like Tomb Raider tried and Tomb Raider had like the original Tomb Raider reboot and it had like a decently dark atmosphere, but like sometimes you die in like weirdly horrific ways that just seemed almost out of place. And it didn't be, it didn't make sense in the context of the game. It was like like, fall into a river and get your head impaled on a spike. And you're like, is I don't know. Maybe that would happen. I always <laughs> liked how the how the Last of Us handle it, and obviously the sequel does it too. Where you know, mm-hmm. if there's a bloater at type which returns in this game, which is like a really big like they can like pick you, take you apart, and just like tear you in half because they're so big. Um, and like it would show the bloater grabbing Joel and like right about to rip his head, and then it would fade to black. I feel like yeah. that's a good way of you know. It is of, definitely. It, it's not gratuitous. It, it's it it's enough to show you okay shoot you don't want to die because that's horrifying i don't want to see that happen but you know it's it's not excessive so yeah what are like, the sneaky enemies called i just wanted to mention them super quickly before we move on uh, the which yes, enemies you know, shambler the, earlier the, the sneaky ones the ones oh. that like run away from you all the time i can't remember the name i think they're shamblers shamblers Shambler. uh, no aren't those the ones that just like oh you know the shamblers are the big guys that shoot like acid yeah. at you uh, I forget what the what the little guys are, but yeah, we didn't even talk about the new infected types, uh, which also, yeah, there is an infected type which shimmies around with you and they're super quiet. And it's like, absolutely terrifying. There's, yeah. there's portions of the game that feel like a survival horror. Oh, yeah. Video the, game the section in of the way. hospital. With yeah, that where mutant. you're like, <laughs> you, you don't see any enemies. You like check for scents. So you check for noise. You don't see anything around. You're, you're just going around, you're picking up stuff, you're building stuff. And then you'll hear like, I, I played with headphones, so mm-hmm. I would hear uh, like surround sound. So I would hear something like making a little bit of noise behind me and I'd turn around and I'd shine my flashlight and there'd be nothing there. And then five minutes later, something just jumps out from behind a desk and like attacks me. So I thought that was an interesting change of pace as well. Um, I don't think they've even talked about those enemies, that specific enemy pre-release. I don't believe I've seen it in trailers or anything. No, they only, the Shambler is the only one they really talked about. They showed yeah. it in the state of play too, I believe, where, yeah, they just shoot acid on you, which the Shambler is really just a variation of the bloater. It's a little more nimble of a bloater. Um, but I will say, you know, just one last brief note on the combat, you know, uh, they mentioned it in the, in the state of play where because Ali's more nimble, uh, they they took previous enemy types like the clickers, which return and are still terrifying, and made them more aggressive because Ellie's quicker and you know can dodge and has all these new mobility options compared to Joel. They made clickers, you know, they're they don't just kind of like walk in a straight line; like they're much more aggressive and they can kind of we- uh, weave back and forth and just the little things like that. They they a lot of attention to detail to make things you know feel more intense, uh, which I really appreciated. So I think this is probably a good spot to talk a little bit about some of the controversy related to, I guess you would call it like the cinematics that were leaked ahead of time. Um, there's There seems like there's this cottage industry of dudes in fedoras complaining about the diversity in the game, complaining about the fact that Ellie is gay, complaining about the fact that much of the game story focuses on her relationship with her girlfriend, Dina, uh, even things like assuming that Abby is trans because she is a super strong, extremely ripped woman. I think that a lot of that's just like blatant homophobia, um, or people being bigots. 
But then there's like another side to this as well, where it's kind of that fan creator relationship where Neil Druckmann and his co-writer trying to remember her name in the process of writing Haley Gross, <laughs> the review. There you go. Thank you. Haley Gross crafted this story that goes in unexpected directions and maybe isn't what people expected or what they want. And because they're a fan of the game, they feel that they're owed exactly what they expected. I, it, it's, it's like this very, very complicated thing to, to unpack, but I wanted to talk about it a little bit because I see it time and time again in the gaming space. Like, I think it's okay to be mad that Joel is killed early in the game, sure, but I think a lot like of him. people... 100%. But I think a lot of people have a lack of understanding. Like, I think you're supposed to be a little mad about it. Like, that was that was intentional. Mm -hmm. And then, like, the, the other side of it with the people that can't handle a game that has uh, a more diverse cast of characters, I like, I, I don't even know what to say about that. Like, gaming's evolving, gaming's changing. I think that it's great that it's more inclusive. I found this story far more compelling because it was told from various different perspectives. Um, and I think that that's really important in the gaming space. Uh -huh. yeah, yeah, I, I mean, agree. Uh, yeah. Oh, sorry, go on. No, I'm just agreeing as well. Yeah, um, I think, uh, yeah, I completely agree with you. You know, the leaks for context uh, were, like Joel's scene, death scene was leaked. Uh, and as far as I'm aware, because now that I've beaten the game, I've gone back and tried to piece together. Though Sony's obviously cracked down hard on them. So it's, it's hard to gather exactly what was leaked. But from what I understand, Joel's death leaked. Um, you know, the middle scene where... Ellie, uh, where Abby like beats the crap out of Ellie and le could have killed her and Dina, but chooses to let them live. And then uh, just minor stuff like here and there. But And then I was seeing some people, some of the leaks were suggesting that Abby kills Ellie as well at the end, which is yeah. not true. Um, but that just kind of... I watched... That just kind of goes I, I, into the, you know, the, the problem where it's like people see a leak and they just believe it, you know, and it kind of, it's like a broken telephone thing uh, of, you know, they take these things out of context, whether they're true or not. And then that's kind of formed their opinion of the game before they've even played it. Uh, and like in the case of Joel, right? Yeah, he does die from this unknown character. And that's what a lot of people are framing it as. It's like, oh, this character who's never been seen before comes out of nowhere and takes him out. Um, but obviously there are 20 other hours after that game for you to learn about this character. If you I don't like that. Yeah, like. And, and like you like said, Sean a lot of it. Red Dead Two, we're just he's yeah, gone. Well, and you're like, oh shit, that. Well, like you, like Pat said, it, it it does a lot of it come from like a, a place of of sexism. It's like, um, just as an example, like I'm a big comic book fan. One of like the the big comic book arcs with Batman, you know, Bane, this really big like muscular, like almost like luchador kind of guy who who is a new character comes out of nowhere and like beats the crap out of Batman, breaks his back, and everyone regards that story as like, oh, Bane's such a badass, you know, he's so tough. But then when the same kind of situation in The Last of Us, you know, a tough woman comes out of nowhere, beats the crap out of Joel, kills him. It's suddenly a bad thing, right? Like, mm -hmm. if, if yep. I guarantee, like, I feel like for a lot of these people, if Abby was, I don't know, Alan uh, or they whatever. Have an issue yeah. With it. Um, mm -hmm. Like the idea that just because she's super fit, like, why does that matter? I mean, even if she was trans, she's not. But who cares if she was? Uh, yeah, like it makes like. it makes sense that she'd be fit. This is a post-apocalypse, and I, I kind of like the idea that you know she had years to kind of stew on her hatred for Joel 
and you know she's trying to track him over the course of several years i just love the idea that she's physically and mentally preparing to finally meet joel you know because some of the flashbacks touch into that mm-hmm. you know she's trying to find him and her people that she knows are telling her like just let it go but you know she's just she's just not ready for it um like i I, I agree with you. Like, I, I do think a lot of the problem stems from that. And, and like I said, you know, if you if you do have a, an issue with Joel dying, that is fair. But you need to give the larger story a chance before you make any, you know, final judgments. A lot of people, I think, take negative reaction as the thing was done negatively. But yeah, just because you don't agree with something doesn't mean it's bad. And a lot of times if you take a step back, sometimes those like negative feelings in the long run can like be more memorable and, and more exciting, you know, like, yeah, it's very true. I think about the movie mother, which I know we talk about at work a lot, but like <laughs> no idea what that was going in. Not sure what I watched. Um, but like I having all of those, like thinking back to how that made me feel and made my stomach like clench up and my, I was just cringing and I was like unclear how I was feeling and how confused I was thinking back. That was actually kind of an interesting feeling because mm-hmm. there aren't many things that made me feel that way. Um, well, and for me, it kind of, you know, yeah. you, you said the whole fan entitlement thing, Pat, uh, which I agree with. Um, and you said, you see that a lot in games. I, I would take that, you know, to medium in general. Like I think a good example is like with the new star Wars movies, you know, yeah. The Last Jedi upset a lot of people because it was very subversive because, you know, the first movie very much established, we're going to give you exactly what you want, you know. And so people were conditioned, you know, in the, 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 the months leading up to The Force Awakens. And then when they saw it, you know, two years later for The Last Jedi, they were conditioned to, oh, you know, all these theories about who Ray's parents are and who's this and who's that. And it's so like, no matter what Ryan Johnson did with that movie, people were going to be mad because they had it worked yep. up in their head that Ray shouldn't be a nobody. She should be whatever. And so, you know, the rise of Skywalker was so unsatisfying for people because JJ Abrams was trying to placate all these angry fans and, Oh, Ray's a, a Palpatine or whatever. So same kind of thing here, right? It's like Naughty Dog could have, you know, given people, quote unquote, what they want and given, yeah, oh, you know, here's another Joel and Joel Ellie story, story again or and kind of like milked that that nostalgia you have for those characters and that storyline. Or, you know, they could tell something different and meaningful. And again, you don't necessarily have to like it, but I feel like there's a big difference, like you said, between disliking where a story goes and at least appreciating it. Like, you yeah. know, I have some problems with The Last Jedi. I might not necessarily have killed the Luke Skywalker in the second movie, but, you know, watching the movie and watching essays on it or whatever, like, I can at least appreciate what he was trying to do with that story. And it's the same thing here. It's like, even if I don't necessarily like all the story beats, they were trying to tell a different, more meaningful story. Uh, and that's commendable. I think I don't, why would you want the last of us 1.5 or whatever? Like, I just think like it, it, in my head, it takes like a very special kind of person to make a half hour rant about a bunch of leak cutscenes for a game that isn't out yet. Hasn't been reviewed and you haven't played. And the title of your video is something like how Naughty, Naughty Dog, Dog is the worst rude. company ever or The yeah. Last of Us 2, why I'm not buying. Like it just it doesn't make sense to me, even for the people that like they don't have an issue with the the, the, the diversity that's included in the game. Like I think I think Lev is a really, really cool character. I agree. And I think the way the um, the trans aspect of it plays into it, it's not forced in absolutely any way. It makes sense in the context of mm-hmm. the story. It just like people have this this 
this, I, there's not everybody, but there's a lot of people that seem to have this thing in their head that there's this forced narrative and this forced diversity in the game that somehow ruins a story when like that, that truly isn't the case at all. And it's probably one of the most compelling video game stories that I've played in several years. And I think it pushes the medium into like exciting, very interesting yeah. new places. And I think that's something to celebrate and appreciate and just to like echo what you said, like I think sometimes stories aren't going to go where you want them to go and that's okay because they're supposed to make you feel in a very specific way. And I think that that's something that this game story was very, very good at. But yeah, Yeah, they're just supposed uh, to make you feel period, not feel positive or feel negative, but just feel something. And if you can feel something, it's achieved what it set out to do. Yeah, and I I know, uh, like you said about the whole diversity thing, the fact that people are reacting so viscerally to this shows that it's still a major issue like the only way this is going to become normalized is by people to keep doing this and i i I really you know people really like to hate on uh you know neil Druckmann, and obviously i'm sure the 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 female uh uh developers in particular probably getting so much hate and i I feel for them you should never get hate for making a video game but nope you know uh he's been very candid about the fact that you know the you know, every time they make a character, like he'll have someone ask him, like, can it be could could this character be a female or could this be this character be someone of like a different race or sexuality or whatever? And then like if it doesn't fundamentally change who the character is, why not? Right? Like because yeah. it's true, like you said, it's not forced. Forced would be, you know, taking a like would make forced would be making Ellie's sole characteristic in this game that she, you know, is a lesbian. That it, yep. like I could see that being an issue if that was the only defining characters. That's not the representation. I don't think that that community would want either. But here, it's an important part of her character. But it's you know, there's much more to her than that. And I think that's that's great. Uh, it's a great story. Um, it's it's great to have that representation. And you know, the the first game always exists. If you want to go back and play, you know, yet another <laughs> game with a heterosexual, you know, white male. You can. Yeah, you got that. You got Watch Dogs. You got nine yeah, different like, Assassin's Creed You have Creed pretty games. much every video game <laughs> yeah. ever made yeah. to play if that's what you want. Yeah, um, like I, I'm, I'm glad that they did it. I appreciate it. Yeah. And you know, if, if you know people like Arnita Sarkeesian, for example, you know, has been critical of like how women and stuff like that are, are you know, portrayed in media. If they, ha- if she has issues with how it's presented, that's a good discussion to have. You know it's quite possible there are issues that i'm not seeing because you know i am a straight male but you know there's a way of having constructive criticism about how things are being portrayed versus like you said you know the the neckbeards and the fedora guys just you know taking to social media naughty dog is ruined they're awful worst studio ever neil you know you know whatever they call them uh like it's 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 not right So I think before we wrap things up, um, the last thing that I wanted to talk about was the conclusion to the game. Uh I know we talked about it a little bit before the podcast, Brad. You felt that the cycle of violence um, that has been kind of like pushed over the course of the narrative didn't really come to a satisfying end. I think think that's one of the parts where we we might differ a little bit with with our opinions about the game. Um, I thought that the fact that Ellie decided to stop that cycle by letting um, Lev and Abby leave on the boat, hmm. kind of what, what was actually a satisfying conclusion. She she broke the cycle; it continued, and it, it didn't continue. And I also really enjoyed that that final fight between them. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's an example of Ellie as a character being like 
pushed to the breaking point. Um, the actual combat in that section, the hand-to-hand combat in the water was super compelling. Um, it was it was extremely hard to play. I found myself like yelling at the TV at times, which isn't something that I ever do when I'm playing video games. Um, because I like I didn't I didn't know how I wanted it to end, but I knew that I didn't want Ellie to kill Abby. And when there's that one sequence where um, Ellie holds Abby under the water and you, you kind of see that like final death shake. I thought I thought that's how it was going to end. I thought she was going to kill her. And then she lets her up and she's able to leave. I thought that was satisfying. Hmm. I also enjoyed the way the, the ending was kind of left open mm-hmm. to interpretation in a way, similar to the last game. Ellie returns back to the farmhouse that she had with her girlfriend and her girlfriend's gone. So you, you don't know if they ever get back together. Uh, I thought that that in a way was a good consequence for her actions of like leaving once again to try to, to try to take down Abby, even though she should be satisfied with this life that she has. And then on the Abby side of things, I thought that it was cool. That it was, it was also left open where you don't really know where they're going. You assume they're trying to relink with those fireflies after escaping that horrible biker gang, which we talked about it before and I won't get back into it, but I thought those were very interesting enemies to fight as well. They, they were kind of different from the Seraphites and the WLF. So in both ways, the game ends very similar to the first game in a sense that it's open-ended and it's kind of left to the player's interpretation exactly how it plays out. Um, Yeah, I I guess I was just interested in in you kind of explaining your thoughts and how you feel about the ending because I think we're we're both on uh, different ends of the spectrum with that one. Yeah, so I told you what I said to you and what you kind of mentioned there was like my initial reaction from it when I beat the game on Saturday, uh, Saturday early afternoon. Uh, but you know, I've, I've thought about it. I've been thinking about it nonstop for the last few days. And I, you know, I've replay, I, like I said, I was replaying certain sections and I replayed the final section last night where you okay, know, cool. that final fight. So I have given it more thought and I do, I've, I've definitely warmed up to the ending a lot. Okay. Um, I think I, I appreciate how understated it is. Uh, you know, it's not a, a big boom, like even like as much as I love the first game's ending, like the final stretch is like kind of a big fight between like Joel and the the Fireflies. Uh, and I like how this game was just a one-on-one confrontation ending. I, I, I'm always of the mind in stories that if you can have a more personal, intimate conflict at the end, that's more compelling, right? Versus a big shootout or something. I, I, I do like that. Uh, and like you said, I, I do appreciate that, you know, it was not a clean, you know, everyone's ending was wrapped up with a bow kind of thing. Um, like, you know, like you said, Ellie gets, loses her girlfriend and her girlfriend had a baby uh, just for the added context. So, you yeah, know, we didn't talk about that. Yeah, at all. So they had a family mm-hmm. together and, you know, she lost that because she refused to to give up, even though Dina pleaded with her and told her, like, if you go, I'm not going to be here when you come back. Uh, and you know, Ellie even loses a few fingers from that fight. Um, you can't play uh, guitar anymore. Yeah. And, you know, even, you know, you see Tommy one last time when they're still living at the farm and Tommy, you know, he mentions how, uh, he and his wife have kind of separated and, you know, he's not in a great state either. He's kind of full of bitterness and he still wants revenge. So I like how the game kind of positioned that everyone who still hung on to that, like cycle of violence either dies or, you know, kind of loses whatever relationships they had left because you know they were so focused on hatred instead of love you know that they lost what they love because of it 
in certain ways. Whereas Abby, like I said, you know, she let go of her hatred a while back to her point, you know, the cycle of violence, it ended with Joel. That was the only person she wanted to kill. She didn't want to kill anyone else from Jackson, none of Ellie's friends, none of Ellie, not Ellie herself, literally just Joel. And, you know, her journey throughout the game is trying to save these kids. So I, I, I liked that she was the only one that had a quote unquote happy ending. You know, she gets away with Lev. I think that's very deliberate, obviously, in the themes of the game. You know, she ended the cycle of violence way before then. She didn't want to kill anyone, right? Um, leading up to that. So it does make her more noble of a character. And I did like that thing. My, my only issue, I, I think, I, upon replaying the sequence is up until that point, you know, when you're fighting the bikers and literally when you're walking through the beach and you, you go up to Abby, like everything Ellie's saying and doing is very much, I want to kill Abby. I, I feel like her final choice didn't feel entirely earned to me just in the sense that you know she's literally drowning abby and the game has one brief you know flashback to joel playing the guitar and then that's kind of suggesting that ellie's like focusing more on joel and she just kind of lets abby go i i, I wish that there was a little bit more build up and justification for ellie you know f- making that ultimate decision of you know not killing her because the last of the first last of us ended with a pivotal decision right you know joel choosing to be super selfish, but you, you totally understand why you made that decision because it was built up throughout the game. I just feel like the majority of the game is Ellie wanting to kill Abby. And when she ultimately decides not to, it didn't feel entirely earned to me. Um, but that said, um, I do like the overall themes and the message behind that ending. Uh, and I do like the final, you didn't, you didn't actually mention it, but the, the final flashback with Ellie and Joel where, you know, they're oh yeah they're, about they're on bad terms you know through for a good part of the flashbacks because she finds out that he lied to her uh not only that was, she always suspected that he he was not telling the truth you can but see she that. knows for sure yeah, but she knows what he did she went to the hospital yeah. and she saw it happen so you know she could she initially can't forget him she told him like screw you we're done uh but that ending i really liked that it was a nice kind of closure for those characters because again you know in keeping with the themes of the game it wasn't tied up in a bow ellie didn't immediately say oh i forgive you but she said you know they're both kind of like tearing up and she's like joel you know i hate for hate what you did you robbed me of that choice you know my life doesn't have meaning but i'm gonna try to forgive you and then he like he's like crying and he's like okay like i like that that was a nice kind of you know yeah and obviously we know tragically they don't get that complete closure because he dies like the day later but I appreciated that that was a nice kind of closure for that character. And, you know, the game ends after she has a flashback with her just walking into the sunset pretty much. So like you said, that is, I like that it keeps it open-ended. You know, she doesn't necessarily, she doesn't die, which is good. Cause I, I think it would be kind of weird to kill both of the, Joel and Ellie, you know, like the leak suggested, but which is hard. Cause when people are talking about that and they're mad about the leaks, I want to tell them no, but you know, that would be spoiling it. So many of the um, leaks are just like, they're just straight up wrong. Yeah. Yeah, I saw a leak like suggest that wrong. I saw a leak suggest that Ellie or Abby kills Dina as well. Um yeah. and <laughs> he kills Ellie and it's like no, that's not true at all. <laughs> um yeah, I've been I've been looking at a lot of it. There's one thread that I saw on Reddit where someone like tells retells the entire story with 100% accuracy, but other than that, like everything that I've seen that's leak related at least has a few errors in there or something's been misconstrued in some way. And that's how, you know, going back to that point, the narrative around this game has been so unfair because people are just like, oh, this character comes out of nowhere and kills everyone, Joel, Ellie, the people they love. And it's like, 
none of that is true at all. <laughs> so play the game, then then decide whether or not you exactly. enjoy the story is yeah. the best advice I can give. What? Yeah. Uh, Bennett, are you still going to play the game now that you know absolutely everything? I don't know. I want to. I don't think anything that you guys have said has like turned me off from it. Uh, I'm I'm very intrigued. I mean, this cycle of violence thing, and uh, I guess I'm interested to see like how nuanced Naughty Dog's take is on it. You know, lots of games try to say some stuff and uh-huh. fail. And Naughty I, Dog has in the past, so I have faith. Yeah. But yeah, I, I'd like I to think, play it. You know, echoing what Neil Druckmann himself said. You know, people asked him about the leaks, uh, and he he's like, yeah, obviously they suck. You know, that's not what we want, but you know, it's not about any one particular twist. It's about the the slow progression, the very methodical, you know, deliberate progression of the story and the characters and the, the journey to get. There. Yeah. And he, yeah. he likened it to like turn ratcheting the crank, so to speak. And I think that's a good way of putting it. It's like there is that slow, deliberate buildup that, you know, no matter what leaks you read or no matter what, you know, fedora wearing YouTuber will say otherwise, it's like you need to play the game. It's a video game. It's interactive. You need to yeah. experience it you know, to get those things. And because, you know, Naughty Dog, one of the things they do better than pretty much anyone is the small moments, the quiet moments, you know, the little character banter going from scene to scene, you know, that you're still on the stick, as they say, you know, you're still controlling Ellie, but there's those little moments of dialogue and there's optional dialogue. You know, if you're exploring the town and you go off to the side, there's a completely side cutscene that you might get, you know, of Ellie playing the guitar with Dina, you know, Joel and Ellie flashback to her, him taking her to a museum, uh, like so many like small, quiet, human touching moments that a weren't touched on in the leaks and B, even if they were, you don't get the full context and appreciation of them unless you actually play the game. So there's the music store in one of the open areas. That was a really cool one, too. That, yeah. Um, yeah. And, and I guess I should mention this when when this podcast goes up, um, I'll also have an interview with uh, Neil Druckmann, the creative uh, director of the game up on the site as well, where he talks a little bit about uh, what Brad just spoke about. Um, but I think in general, that that's a pretty good place to, to end things. I think we've covered everything. I think the the main message here from this podcast is like, play the game. Don't listen to the leaks, play it. I'm, I'm pretty confident that the majority of people are going to find it a very engrossing experience that lives up to the original Last of Us. Uh, Brad, I know there was something that you wanted to talk about as well before we we close things out. Oh, yeah, just just briefly, you know, I know we kind of talk about what we're playing or whatever. And we obviously just spent a whole podcast talking about what we've been playing. Uh, But even besides that, you know, given what's been going on lately uh, with the social climate and the ongoing protests or whatever, I just wanted to mention, uh, I just wanted to give a shout out, you know, kind of hearkening back to what we used to do with the podcast. I wanted to give a shout out to the Equal Justice Initiative. Um, Nice. Uh, which uh, there was a movie that came out not that long ago, Just Mercy, um, which is about Brian Stevenson, this uh, lawyer who uh, social justice activi- activist who, you know, his, his goal and his organization, a nonprofit is to exonerate wrongfully convicted people. Uh, Michael B. Jordan plays him in the movie. It's a really great movie. Uh, it's free on Cineplex right now. Actually, Cineplex has about a few dozen black led movies uh, for free right now, which is really cool. So you can check it out there. Uh, but I just think it's a really cool initiative. I got to see the premiere of that movie at TIFF and Brian Stevenson was there with the director and not a dry eye in the theater when, when it played, it was very emotional, but I just think, you know, uh, there's so many great organizations you can support right now. And I think, uh, for, in regards to like the black lives matter, uh, protests, but, uh, this one I think is particularly compelling just because, you know, 
imagine being convicted for something you never committed. You know, in this case, the yeah. Jamie Foxx's character was was I think it was eight or nine years in prison. There was someone on America's Got Talent recently. I saw a video of him. He was in prison for thirty seven years for a crime he didn't commit. That's like insane. that's his entire life. So yeah, um, I just think these or. Uh, Equal Justice Initiative is the one that um, Brian Stevenson founded, but their Innocence Canada is like the Canadian, uh, you know, equivalent Version. of that. Um, yeah. There's Innocence Project. There's a bunch of organizations like that. Uh, and, you know, they're nonprofits, so, you know, they get by the support of people like us. So I would encourage you, if you can, to to look them up. If Obviously, if you can't donate because, you know, money's tight. It is a pandemic right now. Um, but just spreading the word of the work they do, I think it's really, really, really impactful. Yeah. Great. Yo, thank awesome. you for saying that. That was awesome. Yeah. And you, uh, just to reiterate, you can check out, I believe it's for all of June. Um, you can go to the Cineplex store and check out Just Mercy for free if you want to learn more about the movie. Uh, about I think I saw it on the Apple TV app too. I'm not 100% certain if it was oh, okay. free or nice. not, but yeah. it was highlighted. Uh, and there's a bunch of other movies page. they have free there too, like Us, uh, Do the Right Thing, um, Fruitvale Station. So a lot of great movies on that front as well. Cool. Nice. So that's a good place to wrap it up. Thanks for listening to the Syrupcast. Be sure to drop us a five-star review on iTunes. It really helps with the rankings of the show. You can find me on Twitter at, at Patrick underscore O'Rourke and of course, of course mobilesyrup.com. Um, in terms of content that I've produced recently, you'll have my review of The Last of Us, which is going up this coming Friday, but you will hear this podcast the following Friday. Um <laughs> And on that day, I will also have an interview with Neil Druckmann live on the site. So a lot of us, a lot of Last of Us Part Two content will be on Mobile Syrup. Bennett, where can people find you? Uh, you can find me my stuff on Mobile Syrup and YouTube, the Mobile Syrup YouTube channel, um, and you can follow me anywhere at the Brad Fad. And make sure you check out uh, some of the videos Bennett's been doing. He's been doing a excellent job reviving the YouTube channel. Somebody watch. Uh, somebody watch the. Weeks. Just watch the camera one. Nobody's watching it. 300 yeah. people. <laughs> I don't know why. <laughs> no put one. put so much work into it. Yeah. So, you know, if you can get out there, just give it a view. Turn it on. Don't even watch it. Walk away. I don't care. Just, just do it for me. Put it on looping in the background. <laughs> yeah. Um, and Brad, where can people find you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Brad Shankar, B-R-A-D-S-H-A-N-K-A-R. And obviously on Mobile Syrup, um, I do a weekly column on what to stream, which is uh, on Netflix, Crave, Disney+, Plus, etc., which is... Handy, I think, during the pandemic. Oh, incredibly it's, informative. It, yeah. It's a great column that I uh, read every week and then watch at least one or two things from it. <laughs> well, it was your yeah, idea. You have good too, descriptions. So kudos to you. So It's more than just a list. You have like good like breakdowns and this is why you kind of might want to watch this thing or this is why it's important to Canadians. And I think that stuff is always really cool. Thanks. Yeah, I, tr I try to highlight, you know, the Canadian stars or if the movie was filmed in Canada or a co-writer co was Canadian or whatever the case may be. So. Mm -hmm. yeah that stuff's awesome thank you so and as always you can find all of our content on mobilesyrup.com and also follow us on twitter and instagram at at mobilesyrup thanks for listening <laughs> <laughs>